Well, hello, friends, brothers and sisters, children of God. Welcome back to Jack the Bridge. I know it's been a few days since you've heard anything new from me, if, if you are a listener at all in the first place. Um, this isn't going to be a very rosy podcast, but it's something that has been on my mind um, since before I read this book that I will read excerpts from. That book is The Real Anthony Fauci by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I will substitute the most commonly used name with simply a first name as I read this chapter or parts of it. As you do not know how the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Ecclesiastes 11.5 That very powerful, short, concise verse is the premise by which I put this podcast together. When I was uh, about 15 years old, I was 15, I went into my 10th grade English class, and on the board, uh, my teacher, honors English, <laughs> big deal, uh, had two two things written on the board. One of them was uh, Roe versus Wade, 1973. The other, on the other side of the board, on the chalkboard, it said, a modest proposal, in quotes, by Jonathan Swift. Now, Roe v. Wade, as many of you may know, is a very pivotal abortion related case, uh, apparently falsified, comp uh, very much so, as investigations have revealed. Um, Jonathan Swift wrote a modest proposal in the 1800s, I believe just around the time of the Civil War, and I believe he wrote it in, in English, he was English. Uh, Anyway, that, that book was a satirical, or that essay was a satirical essay. I don't have it on hand. I should have looked it up first. But I remember it. I remember this whole thing just like it was last week. And uh, that, that satire, A Modest Proposal, is, a, is, is literally about eating babies and that being a means to deal with hunger issues as well as population control. And what no one else 
for the most part, knew about me at that moment. And what I didn't really know about anyone else in that room, and there were maybe 20 students in the room, is that I'm adopted and, and, and very pleased to have been adopted and, um, and raised by good parents, although my family wasn't uh, rock solid as far as uh, keeping it together. However, I'm thankful that God brought me to my parents and vice versa. Well, getting back to the classroom, it occurred to me in that moment that I had to spend probably a good portion of the rest of my life uh, pretending not to care, uh, uh, to be insensitive, to... to um, in, in some instances, even find myself associating, making close friends with people who really were uh, abortion, I guess, advocates. Um, one friend of mine was so close, and I thought he had been my best friend over several years. And, you know, from the time I was 14, we were friends on and off, spent a lot of time together between the ages of 14 and early 20s and when I'd come back and visit I'd often see this friend of mine and um out of the blue he he was ex he he decided to tell me about uh an abortion that his current girlfriend was having and then he ex went further on to explain that this ex-girlfriend and this one I had known had actually had three abortions over over a couple of years from the time that we were young. And God, I don't know how it slid past me. Um and and that he he had his his ex-girlfriend counseling his new girlfriend about the benefits and what a good thing. And I I couldn't conceive of that and i'm not saying that i'm that i'm perfect or my morals are so much higher than anyone else's but um is i thank god that i i haven't produced any children that that i don't that i don't know about um and i i certainly certainly love my children um anyway Let's take it to the bridge. Chapter 7. This chapter begins with a quote. Dr. Antony, Mr. Hyde, NIAID's Barbaric and Illegal Experiments on Children. The Nazi medical experiments are an example of this sadism, for in the use of concentration camp inmates and prisoners of war, human guinea pigs, very little, if any, benefit to science was achieved. It is a tale of horrors of which the German medical profession cannot be proud. Although the experiments were conducted by fewer than 200 murderous quacks, albeit some of them held eminent parts in the medical field posts. Their criminal work 
was known to thousands of leading physicians of the Reich, not a single one of whom, so far as the record shows, ever uttered the slightest public protest. William L. Shirer, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Second quote, science advances one funeral at a time. Max Planck. Now I'll read you a little bit of the text from this chapter. And um, as I review it, there is so much that I underlined in colors, even red, yellow, and black. Uh, but here we go. During the nearly four decades since Dr. Antony took the agency's reins, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, NIAID, has often treated America's most vulnerable children as collateral damage in its director's single-minded pursuit of profitable pharmacological solutions for steadily declining public health. AZT's sketchy and corrupt path to regulatory approval in 1988 blazed the trail for a multi-billion dollar boom in the new HIV drugs. And Dr. Antony gave broad leeway to his pharmaceutical partners and their PIs, that's a product investigator, to conduct unethical human experimentation that exposed both children and adults to toxic compounds. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HAS, and its predecessor agency, the Public Health Service, already had a long history of morally repugnant experiments on vulnerable subjects, including imprisoned convicts, institutionalized adults with intellectual disabilities, and orphan children in hell holes like Staten Island's Willowbrook and the Fernald School in Waltham, Massachusetts. In 1973, Dr. Stanley penned a letter to the New England Journal of Medicine in which he justified his experiments on vulnerable, intellectually disabled children, saying they are, in quotes, are humans in form but not in social potential. Those sorts of prejudices did nothing to damage his lofty reputation among his colleagues. Vaccinologists considered the annual Stanley Plotkin Award, the Nobel Prize of Vaccinology. In 2019, the British Medical Journal called Plotkin the father, godfather of vaccines. These homegrown American medical mangalas, most often targeted impoverished American Indians and blacks in Africa, the Caribbean, and in the United States as their laboratory rats. Government regulators and their pharmaceutical company industry partners often combined racial discrimination with child abuse in HAS's drug and vaccine development campaigns. During the government industry polio vaccine experiments of the 1950s and 60s, U.S. vaccinologists like Hilary Kaprosky and Stanley Plotkin worked with Belgian colonial authorities in the Congo to recruit millions of black African child in quotes, volunteers for dozens of mass population trials with experimental vaccines that were perhaps considered to be too risky to test on white children. As late as 1989, 
The CDC conducted lethal experiments with a hazardous measles vaccine on black children in Cameroon, Haiti, and South Central Los Angeles, killing dozens of little girls before halting the program. CDC did not tell volunteers that they were participating in experiment. Huh. In 2014, another CDC whistleblower, the agency's senior vaccine safety scientist, Dr. William Thompson, disclosed that top CDC officials had forced him and four other senior researchers to lie to the public and destroy data that showed disproportionate vaccine injuries, including a 340% elevated risk for autism. In male black infants who receive the measles, mumps, rubella, MMR vaccine on schedule. So it was only natural that Dr. Antney and his pharma partners employed black and Hispanic foster children for cruel and barbaric treatments in their efforts to develop their second generation antivirals and chimeric HIV vaccines that provided the initial stepping stones for his career. Dr. Antony's corrupt collaboration with pharmaceutical companies that yielded NIAID's scandalous approval of AZT in 1987 consolidated his symbiotic relationship with the pharma PIs and lowered NIAID's standards for products and approvals. His relationship with his PIs and their former patrons yielded a cascade of beneficial personal opportunities, and Dr. Antony quickly learned to overlook pharma's excesses. In 1980, Bay Dole Act allowed NIAID and Dr. Antony personally to file patents on hundreds of new drugs that his agency funded. PIs were incubating and then to license those drugs to pharmaceutical companies and collect royalties on their sales. NIAID's drug development enterprise quickly eclipsed HAS's regulatory function. Millions of dollars began flowing in from drug royalties to NIH and to NIAID's high-level personnel, including Dr. Antony, further blurring the boundaries between public health and pharma profits. And just a little aside, this is me talking, you know, there is a cloak of confusion, especially that narcissists use, where they should just say, I don't know, I don't know, but they're, you know, uh, but what I did learn earlier in this is that um, this same individual uh, changed the way that that pharmaceuticals are, are, are offered to the public and really uh, squashed real true peer review studies. And these PIs, these investigators, these product investigators, um, the, these people are, are all paid off to turn their heads and um, pretend that, uh, that everything's just fine. In 2004, investigative journalist Liam Sheff chronicled Dr. Antony's secretive experiments on hundreds of HIV-positive foster children at, at Incarnation Children's Center, ICC, 
in New York City and numerous sister facilities in New York and six other states between 1988 and 2002. Those experiments were the core of Dr. Antony's career-defining effort to develop a second generation of profitable AIDS drugs as an encore to AZT. Chef described how Dr. Antony, N-I-A-I-D, and his big pharma partners use black and Hispanic foster kids in la as lab rats, subject subjecting them to torture and abuse in a grim parade of unsupervised drug and vaccine studies. In quotes, this former convent houses a revolving stable of children who've been removed from their own homes by the Agency for Child Services, ACS. These children are black, Hispanic, and poor. Many of their mothers had a history of drug abuse and have died. Once taken into ICC, the children become subjects of drug trials sponsored by Dr. Antony, N-I-A-I-D, National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Disease, a division of NIH, NICHD, the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, in conjunction with some of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies, GlaxoSmithKline, Pfizer, Genentech, Chiron Biocene, and others. NIAID's pharma partners remunerated Incarnation Children's Center, ICC, for supplying children for the tests. Chef continued, the drugs being given to the children are toxic. They're known to cause genetic mutation, organ failure, bone marrow death, bodily deformations, brain damage, and fatal skin disorders. If the children refuse the drugs, they're held down and force-fed. If the children continue to resist, they're taken to Columbia Presbyterian Hospital, where a surgeon puts a plastic tube through their abdominal wall and into their stomachs. From then on, the drugs are injected directly into their intestines. In 2003, two children, ages 6 and 12, had debilitating strokes due to drug toxicities. The six-year-old went blind. They both had died shortly after. Another 14-year-old died suddenly. An eight-year-old boy had two plastic surgeries to remove large, fatty, drug-induced lumps from his neck. This isn't science fiction. This is AIDS research. Even the foster children who survived Antony's experiments reported dire side effects ranging from skin outbreaks and hives, nausea and vomiting to sharp drops in immune response and fevers, all common adverse reactions associated with the drugs he was targeting for development. During one of his trials involving the drug Dapsone, at least 10 children died. A May 2005 Associated Press investigation reported that those children died from a variety of causes, including four from blood poisoning. Researchers complained they were unable to determine a safe, useful dosage. Their guessing game cost those children their lives. 
An unexpected finding in our study, the researchers pitilessly observed, was that overall mortality while receiving the study drug was significantly higher in the daily dapsone group. NIAID researchers shrugged off the deaths as a mystery. This finding remains unexplained. Vera Sharav spent years investigating Dr. Antony's torture chambers as part of her lifelong mission to end cruel medical experimentation on children. Sharav told me, in quote, Antony just brushed all those dead babies under the rug. They were collateral damages in, in his career ambitions. They were throwaway children, Sharav said, that at least 80 children died in Dr. Antony's Manhattan concentration camp and accused NIAID and its partners of disposing of children's remains in mass graves. BBC's heartbreaking 2004 documentary, Guinea Pig Kids, chronicled the savage barbarity of Dr. Antony's science projects from the perspective of the affected children. This year, and this is 2021 when this was written, BBC hired investigative reporter Celia Farber to conduct field research for the film, which exposes the dark underside of Big Pharma's stampede to develop lucrative new AIDS remedies. In quotes, I found the mass grave at Gate of Heaven Cemetery in Hawthorne, New York, she told me. I couldn't believe my eyes. It was a very large pit with AstroTurf thrown over it, which you could actually lift up. Under it, one could see dozens of plain wooden coffins haphazardly stacked. There may have been a hundred of them. I learned there was more than one child's body in each. Around the pit was a semicircle of several large tombstones on which upward of 1,000 children's names had been engraved. And I wrote down every name. I'm still wondering who the rest of those kids were. As far as I know, Nobody has ever asked Dr. Antony that haunting question. And in case that excerpt is getting a hold of you, um, this next paragraph touching. I remember the teddy bears and hearts in piles around the pit, and I recall the flies buzzing around. The job of recording all those names took all day. NIAID, New York, and all the hospital PIs were stonewalling us. We couldn't get any accurate estimate of the number of children who died in the NIAID experiments or who they were. I went to check the gravestone names against death certificates in NYC. Department of Health, which you could still do at that time, BBC wanted to match these coffins to the names of the children who were known to have been at ICC. 
It was a very slow Byzantine project with tremendous institutional resistance, but we did turn up a few names. We learned the story of a father who had come out of prison looking for his son. He was told his son had died at ICC of AIDS and there were no medical records. As they'd all been lost in a fire, he was devastated. This story ran in the New York Post, believe it or not, but one after the other, every media outlet that touched this story got cold feet. Even then, the medical cartel had this power to kill this kind of story. Dr. Antony has built his career on that attitude. Nobody even asks him a follow-up question. NIAID's direct narrative at that time was that these children were among the doomed as they had AIDS. So supposedly they were all going to die anyway. When people died in large numbers, gruesome deaths, NIAID's medical researchers called it lessons learned. During the decades since Dr. Antony took over NIAID, he has sanctioned drug companies to experiment on at least 14,000 children, many of them black and Hispanics, orphans, living in foster homes. He permitted these companies to operate without oversight or accountability. Under Dr. Antony's laissez-faire rubric, these companies systematically abused and occasionally killed children. Dr. Antony presided over these atrocities, collaborating with pharmaceutical company researchers and winking at their loose definitions of informed consent, consent and volunteer instead of looking out for the best interests of children. Dr. Antony gave outlaw drug makers free reign to torture vulnerable children behind closed doors with neither parental permission nor requisite oversight from child welfare authorities. In 1965, my father kicked down the door of the Willowbrook State School on Staten Island, where pharmaceutical companies were conducting cruel and often deadly vaccine experiments on incarcerated children. Robert Kennedy declared Willowbrook a snake pit and promoted legislation to close the institution and end the exploitation of children. Fifty-five years later, national media and Democratic Party sachems have beatified a man who presided over similar atrocities, somehow elevating him to a kind of secular sainthood. What dark flaw in Dr. Antony's character allowed him to oversee and then to cover up the atrocities at Incarnation Children's Center? At very best, there must be some arrogance as imperiousness that enables Dr. Antony to rationalize the suffering and deaths of children as acceptable collateral damage in what he sees as his noble search for new public health innovations. At worst, he is a sociopath who has pushed science into the realm of sadism. Recent disclosures support the latter interpretation. Freedom of information documents obtained in January 2021 by the White Coat Waste Project 
show that Dr. Antony approved a $424,000 NIAID grant to, in 2020 for experiments in which dogs were bitten to death by flies. The insects carried a disease-carrying parasite that can affect humans. The researchers strapped capsules containing infected flies to the bare skin of 28 healthy beagle puppies and kept them in agonizing suffering for 196 days before euthanizing them. NIAD acknowledged it subjected other animals, including mice, Mongolian gerbils, and rhesus monkeys to similar experiments. That same year, Dr. Antony's agency gave $400,000 to the University of Pittsburgh scientists to graft the scalps of aborted fetuses onto living mice and rats. NIAD sought to develop rat and mouse models using full thickness fetal skin to provide a platform for studying human skin infections. Dr. Antony's sidekick and putative boss, Francis Collins, who cast himself as a pious Catholic, kicked in 1.1 million as a sweetener from NIH for this malignant project of all the desperate public health needs in America, of all the pain that a well-spent $2 million might alleviate. Antony and his government confederates deemed that these demented and inhumane experiments, the most worthwhile expenditures of America's taxpayer dollars. These disclosures beg many other questions. From what moral wilderness did the monsters who devised and condoned these experiments descend upon our idealistic country? How have they lately come to exercise such tyrannical power over our citizens? What sort of nation are we if we allow them to continue? Most trenchantly, does it not make sense that the malevolent minds, the elastic ethics, the appalling judgment, the arrogance, the savagery that sanctioned the barbaric brutalization of children at the Incarnation Convent House and the torture of animals for industry profit could also concoct a moral justification for suppressing life-saving remedies and prolonging the deadly epidemic? Could these same dark alchemists justify a strategy of prioritizing their $48 billion vaccine project ahead of the public health and human life? Did similar hubris, that deadly human impulse to play God, pay the lethal path to Wuhan? and fuel the reckless decision to hack the codes of creation and fabricate diabolical new forms of life, pandemic superbugs in a ramshackle laboratory with scientists linked to the Chinese military? On my birthday in January 1961, three days before I watched my uncle JFK take his oath as president of the United States, Outgoing President Dwight Eisenhower, in his farewell address, warned our country about the emergence of a military-industrial complex that would obliterate our democracy. In that speech, Eisenhower made an equally urgent, although less celebrated, 
warning against the emergence of a federal bureaucracy, which he believed posed an equally dire threat to America's constitution and her values. Eisenhower demanded that we guard against this insipid brand of tyranny by entrusting our government to, to responsible officials ever vigilant against the daily gravities, deadly gravities, of technocratic power and industry money that would pull our nation away from democracy and humanity and into diabolical dystopian savagery. It is the task of statesmanship to mold, to balance, and to integrate these and other forces, new and old, within the principles of our democratic system, even aiming toward the supreme goals of our free society. During his half-century as a government official, Dr. Antony has utterly failed in this charge, as we shall see. He has used his control of billions of dollars to manipulate and control scientific research to promote his own and NIAID's institutional self-interest and private profits for his pharma partners to the detriment of America's values, her health, and her liberties. Of late, he has played a central role in undermining public health and subverting democracy and constitutional governments around the globe and in transitioning our civil governance toward medical totalitarianism. Just as President Eisenhower warned, Dr. Antony's C-19 response has steadily deconstructed our democracy and elevated the powers of medical technocracy. Well, back to the present. In right now reality, the wind chimes are chiming outside. The sun is out. Time to get busy. So, let's have a positive day. Wherever you find yourself today, and whatever you find yourself doing, know that Jesus Christ loves you. And I do too. So our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And he shall reign forever and ever. I have a universe.